Well, welcome back, everyone. If I could get everyone's attention, please. We're now going to be transitioning into a time of reading and preaching God's Word. And to read God's Word for us today is Wendy. So, Wendy. Our reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to start with a question. Is there a place that you long to go and experience? Dan kind of touched on this as he began his liturgy. A place, a glorious destination that you just can't wait to visit. Well, for me, that was Moraine Lake. So last summer, Rachel, her sister, and I made the decision to go on a road trip by driving all the way from Toronto to Banff and back. And after being on the road for thousands and thousands of kilometers, driving more than eight hours a day, we finally arrived at Banff. And by this time, we're just surrounded by towering mountains on either side of us, and we could just barely contain our excitement. Except, and for those of you who have been to Moraine Lake, you know this, the parking lot. We did not expect Parking attendants would be at the gate, and they closed the entryway up the mountain because the parking lot was at capacity. And let me tell you, that morning, that experience was just crushing. It was devastating. We worked so hard to journey across the entire country, and Canada is not small, it's big. We traveled across Ontario, Manitoba, um, Alberta, I might be missing one in there. to finally reach that point just to be denied entry. And my question for all of you is this. How many of you have ever experienced that feeling of having so much longing, putting in so much effort to reach the goal just to find out that there's no way in? Or how many of you find yourselves constantly chasing one glory after another only to be disappointed because there's actually no way to obtain it. Well, what we see in our passage today is exactly that, a longing to experience, a longing to be part of something 
that's so close, yet at the same time, so far. Our passage today reveals that the Israelites eagerly longed to participate in that kind of glory, the glory that comes from direct communion with God. Yet, the path they were choosing to take had an unexpected barrier. And our passage shows us that there is a kind of glory that all of us here today, sitting here and watching online, all of us thirst for and long for. But there's also a hidden obstacle in our hearts that are preventing us from getting there. And so we'll learn about three things from our text today. Number one, the glory that attracts you. Number two, the glory, oh, sorry, number two, the veil that prevents you. And number three, the glory that frees you. The glory that attracts you, the veil that prevents you, and the glory that frees you. Let's look at our first point today, the glory that attracts you. Before we go on, what is our understanding of glory? I believe many of us would have this kind of definition. It's the highest honor, the highest accolade that we're recognized with because of what we have accomplished. And it kind of works in this kind of formula. The greater the source of recognition, well, the greater the experience of glory. Let's take, for example, the glory of winning a pickup soccer game with the neighborhood kids. And compare that to the glory of winning the World Cup and being honored by the entire nation. Maybe that'll happen for us, Canada, one day. We can only hope. You see, we all, ex- we all experience and we all long to experience this greater glory where our recognition will be found in our value and worth. We all want to be part of that kind of glory. And today, Paul talks about a glory that attracts all of us, the greatest possible glory of experiencing approval and welcome, not from any other human being, but from the living God himself. Let's take a look at verse seven together. The ministry of death carved in letters on stone, but the glory of this was being brought to an end. So what does this even mean? Well, to understand this, we need to look at the background context of Exodus 34. Here, we read about how Moses has been on Mount Sinai for quite some time in the direct presence of God, face to face with God, and this is where he receives the Ten Commandments, these letters on stone that our text talks about. And now, as Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai, and you see the Israelites at the very bottom observing this great prophet coming down, they see his face is just beaming. It is shining. It is radiant. And this was just from the residue of the glory that Moses experienced in his communion, in his presence with God. Exodus 33, a chapter before, talks about this. As it says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. That's how close Moses was to be able to experience that glory, that recognition, that value, that worth, that acceptance from God. He was face to face with God as a friend. And here the Israelites are at the bottom 
they all want to be part of that too, just like Moses was. They want to experience that glory in God's presence. They want to be accepted. They want to be part of that, included in that. They want to experience that glory for themselves. C.S. Lewis, a great writer and theologian, he, he frames this definition of glory in his essay, The Weight of Glory, and this is what he says. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the purity of mourning, but they don't make us fresh and pure. We can't mingle with any of the splendors that we see. But all the leaves are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so, because someday, God willing, will be let in. For glory means good report with God. Glory means acceptance by God. Glory means response, acknowledgement, welcome into the heart of things. And so my question for all of you is this. Have you ever felt this way before? Where there's something that you desperately wish you could be part of, that you could be just included in? Have you ever thought in your heart, if only I had that, if only I were just included in that, then my life would be complete. Well, what Lewis is saying is that at the heart of glory that we're all longing for is this ultimately good report, acceptance, and welcome, not into the presence of any other human being, but no, into the presence of God himself. For there is no greater glory that created beings can taste than from the glory of their creator as they are accepted and as they are valued. And the gospel says that the Israelites felt the same way. They yearned so desperately to be welcomed and included into this glorious communion with God. But there was a problem. There's always a problem. And the problem for the Israelites was this. It was the way that they were going about with it. They, what, they do, what they do in verse 7 is that they long for this glory. It was being brought to an end. Why was that? What was so wrong with the way that they were trying to obtain this glory? Was Paul disqualifying everything that's happened in the Old Testament up until Jesus comes in the New Testament? No. That's not what happens, but Paul is saying that there's something about the way Israel pursued their relationship with God that was preventing them from this kind of glory for themselves. And that brings us to our second point for today, the veil that prevents you, the veil that prevents you. So far, what we've talked about is that we talked about this glory that attracts us ultimately Behind the glory among glories is this glory of communion with God. But something was preventing the Israelites from experiencing that glory. And so let's look at our text again, and we'll be coming back to verses 14 to 15 a number of times. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, just keep it open for reference. In verses 14 to 15, talk about a veil that was preventing the Israelites from truly understanding what the old covenant was about. It says, but their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. 
Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Veil, veil, veil. So what is this veil now? And to understand what that veil is, we need to understand the covenant with Israel that God made with Moses. And this covenant had two sides to it. Two sides. The first side was the obligation of the Israelites. And it was summarized by the Ten Commandments, which were the letters on stone tablets. This told them what they were expected to do, to live in such a way that is holy, that is beautiful, and that is pleasing to God. Now, the other side of the covenant is a side that many of us tend to forget about, which is that the covenant Moses was given had all these kinds of provisions and sacrifices. Why? Sacrifices to forgive Israel for failing to obey the Ten Commandments and all of its obligations. This was the side that God was expected to do. Not mankind, but God was expected to do. To forgive, to show mercy, and to show grace through these sacrifices. In other words, the covenant that was made with Moses had two expectations. Number one, for holy and beautiful living. And number two, for needing God's grace whenever Israelites, whenever they fell short and sinned. For grace came through the sacrifices of the animals to substitute for the guilty party's sins. In this case, the Israelites themselves. So then, the covenant that we read about in our text, the covenant with with Moses was actually a covenant of grace. But the Israelites missed this two-sided nature of that covenant because they were only focused on the obligation side. They interpreted their own performance. They interpreted their own works to be the way into God's presence. And to this, Romans 9.31-32 to says the following, Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They didn't pursue it by faith, but they were just relying on their works. Do you hear that? They try to make their way to God with their own righteousness, but as Romans 3.20 says, that never works. It never works. It says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. You see, taking this approach of trying to earn God's approval, trying to earn their welcome into the heart of all things, as C.S. Lewis puts it, through their own self-trusting works and performances only serves to prevent them and condemning them from getting closer to God. So when we look at verses 14 to 15 again, when we read about how their minds were hardened, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. What is this veil? This veil is their self-righteous efforts that prevent them from experiencing the glory of God in grace. And in the same way today, our own good works, they don't solve the problem of our sinful hearts. 
Our good works don't erase our selfishness. Rather, our selfishness spoils our good works as we end up doing them for all the wrong purposes, for all the wrong reasons. It's all for ourselves. Men and women, you cannot please God with your own strength. You cannot please God with your own efforts. And Romans 3.23 reminds us of this as it says, for all have sinned. Not some, not many, but all, all of us listening today, all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and all fall short of this great glory of God. That's the reality that we're with. My wife, Rachel, and I, uh, we've been married for one month now. And uh, each new day is a new record for us. And um, it's been exciting. But for us being together as a couple, we've been together for almost four years. And in our time together, we've had our ups and downs. Personally, I've had some deep areas of growing that I had to do over the years. Now, this process, it was painful and difficult for the both of us. Quite often, I'd find myself trying to get better and trying to overcome certain areas of sin so that she wouldn't leave me or that, so that she would approve of me. But trying to sustain a relationship out of fear, out of performance, out of insecurities only made me feel more cornered, trapped, and, and burdened. And all of this was an internal battle that was just raging inside my heart. And eventually there came, there came a point in our relationship where one day we both sat down to talk about my journey, to talk about my progress. And I had the gut-wrenching feeling of guilt and of fear because I knew what I was about to say to her was going to hurt her. And this time around, I wasn't sure how she was going to respond. How many of you know what it's like to feel pressured, to feel burdened, to perform? How many of you have completely just burned out in the process and feel like you're just, just running on fumes at this point? How many of you are desperately looking for a way out to feel safe, accepted, and loved? Because if any of those questions resonate with you today, I want you to turn with me to four, verses 14 to 16 one last time, but this time we'll read what we didn't include the past couple times. It says, but their, heart, but their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. It is only through Christ that this veil of the Israelites, that this veil for us is taken away. And that brings us to our third and final point for today. The glory that frees you. 
When we turn to Christ, this veil is removed as Christ now becomes the way to the presence of God. Christ becomes the way to communion. Christ becomes the way in which we are approved and accepted and invited by God. Recall the two sides of the covenant that we talked about a few minutes ago. One, the holy and beautiful living and perfect obedience. And two, the forgiveness of sins that comes through the grace of God. Both sides of this covenant are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. How? Christ, he lived a perfectly sinless life of obedience. And Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. The one who had done nothing wrong, who still takes our place of penalty and guilt for our shame or for our sins. This is the glory that the old covenant had always pointed to. Christ is the way. Christ is the truth. Christ is the life into the presence of God. It's always been about Christ the entire time. And so if you today find yourself trying to perform, trying to perform to earn your worth and your value and your acceptance, stop right where you are and look to Christ. Look to the Son of God who left all of heavenly rich, all his heavenly riches, his kinship, and he condescended down to his created beings. Look to the word of God who was made flesh in whom is eternal everlasting life. Look to Christ who lived a completely sinless life and came to perfectly do the will of the Father. Look to Christ who's the complete fulfillment of everything that the old covenant pointed to. Look to Christ who worked, who toiled, who suffered, and who died in our place of condemnation on the cross as he was beaten, mocked, and crucified. Christ, he did that for you, and he did that for me. 2 Corinthians 5, a few chapters afterwards, says this, For our sake, God made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is because of Christ that we are now welcomed into the heart of all things, as C.S. Lewis talked about, that we have our deepest longings for glory fulfilled in our communion and in our fellowship with God. Would you look with me to verse 17 of our text now? This is what it says. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because of Christ, we can freely enter into a personal relationship with God where we can know God the living God himself, and we can be known by him as well. Christ is the one who frees us to feel safe, to feel loved and accepted by our heavenly Father. And in Christ, it is the Holy Spirit who transforms our hearts by replacing our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh that now want to obey, that now want to love God without any other selfish motive. There's a complete transformation 
in the way that we approach God, in the way that we approach our relationship with God. It's no longer out of a performance-based treadmill. No fear, no, no burden, but now we just want to love God. We want to obey God just because we want to. And all of this takes place because Christ frees us from our works. Coming back to my conversation with Rachel, I ended up hurting her again. But her response, I'll never forget. She said, Stephen, I forgive you. Stephen, I want to be with you as you continue to grow in this journey. I'm not going anywhere, so don't feel like I'm just going to give up on you and leave this relationship. I still love you, and I will continue to love you, and I want you to know that. The moment I heard those words, I broke down. I just broke down. Because now, in a much deeper way than ever before, I felt accepted and I felt loved. I felt free to be in this relationship without pressure or fear. I didn't need to perform to have her stick around. And you know, after that conversation took place, I didn't become this perfect husband or whatnot. I'm still a big, huge work in progress. But I can say this, because of that powerful experience of grace. Now, I actually wanted to love Rachel just because I wanted to. There was nothing else to it. I just wanted to do that. It wasn't out of fear. It wasn't out of a pressure of performing. But it was out of a freedom of already knowing that I'm accepted and I am loved. And out of that freedom, I just wanted to love her more than I ever had before. My heart, my attitude, my perspective changed in the way that I approached our relationship. Grace Toronto, this is the kind of freedom that Jesus brings into our relationship with God. And let me tell you, there is no greater glory than to be able to stand in the presence of God without a trace of fear or burden. It's the most freeing of things to be able to stand before God and just to be able to love Him and to obey Him just because we want to. That's the beauty of freedom that we find in Christ. And in that freedom, we get to say the same words that the Apostle Paul says in verse 12 of our text. As he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not scared, not pressured, not insecure, but we are bold. Do you have this kind of hope? Do you have this kind of hope that allows you to live boldly and to experience freedom in your identity as God's beloved. Because if this is something that attracts you, look no further than to Christ. Trust in him. 
Believe that he died for your sins and reconciled you back into a relationship with God, into the presence of the living God, to have communion with God that the Israelites were all longing for, desperately yearning yearning for. Christ has made that possible. It is in Christ that we are freed from always needing to perform to earn approval. Because now, our value and our worth, it's found in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, to die for us on the cross, to die for our sins and condemnation so that we could stand before you freely without any guilt, without any shame. And not only can we just stand before you freely, but have transformed hearts where now we, we are able to just love you for the sake of loving you because we know we are accepted and because we, are know, we know that we are valued and loved by you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for your love. And in his name we pray, amen.